All righty. Make sure we're lined up here. So according to the Legal Information Institute, eminent domain refers to the power of the government to take personal property. And according to the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution, they can only do that if a just payment is given to the person who owns that property. They can only exercise that authority if they give a just payment to the property owners. And you may be thinking, well, how does that have to do with this scripture that we're talking about today? Uh, I've even entitled this message, Eminent Domain, as we see here. Well, brothers and sisters, if, if you are not a saved believer in Jesus Christ, you are by nature under the domain of darkness. Uh, we're going to see that here. So all who are not in Christ are by nature slaves to sin, and they're under the rule and reign of Satan. You are his personal property while on earth if you're an unbeliever. Uh, he has authority over you. And, and some may think, well, I'm, I'm an atheist, so I don't believe in Satan, so he has no authority over me. Or I'm just a spiritual person. I don't really believe in a, in a being that's evil. You know, I might believe in this yin and yang thing, but I don't really believe in a, a true evil being. Well, just as not believing the police won't keep you from getting a speeding ticket, not believing in Satan won't diminish his rule and reign over you if you're an unbeliever. However, we are all offered a way out of this domain of darkness. Jesus Christ exercised and exercises the right and the rule of eminent domain over his creation. He has the power to redeem his children from the domain of darkness. And after exercising this eminent domain, though, a just payment is required for our sin. He paid the ultimate payment for us, the just for the unjust. This payment, though, was not actually to Satan. Some may mistake uh, Jesus' death on the cross is a payment to Satan, like Satan is exercising some authority over Jesus Christ, or that Satan has some type of power over God. No, no, Satan only has temporary dominion over unbelievers on earth. One day, his dominion will come to an end, a, frankly, in our, our aspect, a glorious end, uh, that he will be cast into the lake of fire along with all unbelievers. But no, this actual payment was required to God the Father. You see, God is a perfect God. As Brother Lee talked to us this morning, I was laughing that he was reading my sermon because that idea of, of God is a perfect God. And, and, and David mentioned, you know, one sin tarnished creation, right? One sin, God, God can't be around, right? Adam's sin has affected us all, and our sin, nature, continues to affect us all. So God requires a just payment for our sin, and that sin leads to death, we see in Romans 3.23, as we'll talk about later. But yet Jesus paid our debt. The debt that we owed, God, God received that perfect payment of righteousness from Christ. He absorbed our penalty for sin, namely the wrath of God on his death on the cross. So join me as we read the scripture today in Colossians 1.12-14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share and the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for your redemptive work on the cross. Thank you for exercising eminent domain in my life, God, for, for buying me back from sin, oh, Lord God, for saving my soul. Thank you for saving others that are here too, Lord Jesus. And if somebody is not sure that they have fully trusted in you, God. I just pray that you be drawing them to you right now, that they respond to the gospel. And if 
those who of us, of us that are, Lord, may we take this and may we, may we go out and share your gospel, share the gospel, the, the good news of the gospel, that we were once dead in our sins, but now we are free in Christ. Lord, prepare our hearts and our minds to understand this scripture today, uh, these three uh, just very power-packed verses that we're going to be going through. And uh, Lord, just help us have a, a uh, time of worship uh, for you, Lord. Thank you for the worship we've already had so far, and just help us to worship you through the Word now. We love you. Amen. All right, so today we're going to discuss three different things <coughs> that Christ's redemptive work accomplished on the cross. So the first is, because of Christ's redemptive work on the cross, you can be qualified. You can be qualified. Join me as we read verse 12 again here. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. So why does Paul encourage a thankful heart here? Well, if you recall, last week we went, or yeah, last week we went through verses 9 through 11, and we saw that Paul kind of was given this supplication, prayer of supplication for the believers in Colossae. He had just finished praying for them to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Uh, he, he, had, he had asked that they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, a very high calling nonetheless there. And then he'd also prayed that they would bear fruit, that they would endure with patience and with joy. And through all of this, they're to give thanks to God because they didn't deserve or earn salvation. Uh, he wants them to know even though they may suffer, they may have a rough life, they may go through a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations. He wants them to know, hey, you may suffer, but, and you, need to, you may need to patiently endure, but God through Christ has qualified them and qualified you, right? Remember, we need to have this approach as well. This word qualify, uh, it kind of reminds me of a race. You think about qualification, you think uh, to qualify for a race. And we see this, uh, we see Paul actually use this analogy in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, one of my wife's favorite verses here. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up uh, for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to those who loved his appearing. So you see, Jesus ran the qualifying race for us. Uh, we fall flat on our face as soon as the race begins. That's original sin. That is our sin nature. Uh, our, our, our father, great, 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 great grandfather Adam sinned, and that affects all of us. Uh, we are all born into sin, and sin is our default nature. You don't have to teach children to sin. It comes naturally. I'm going to get some amens from the parents uh, over here, too. You know, we, we don't have to really teach that. Um, and I, I kind of imagine my life, and I don't know if you feel this way too, uh, that, that when you start life, you kind of end up like that. You know, you, you can't even get out of the starting block before, before your face is in the ground. I'm sorry for the, the image that you have there. Uh, but then let, let's say you make it past that. Well, there's always those. You got to watch out for those too. So, I mean, you know, some of those hurdles, they just seem to sneak up on you in life. Like that, that is pretty much how, how our life goes. You know, we can't even get started out of the block without our face hitting. We're just face plant right at the very beginning of life. You know, you, you watch toddlers, it kind of reminds me, you know, they're always on their face. Like, it's like, you know, they're, they, you know, they're trying to walk, they're running and stuff. You know, they're, they're still, well, that's how we are as we try to be good, as we try to make right decisions apart from Christ. We can't even take a step without face planting. And then let's say we make one step, well, there's a hurdle that runs right into our face because we can't jump those hurdles. We can't even duck under them. So looking back at verse 12, we see that Jesus Christ ran the perfect race. He ran the perfect race. We couldn't even get started out of the starting block. We ran into hurdles. We, we, can't, even, we can't even really run the, run the race. And so what this means, he, he's given us his qualifying time. You know, we couldn't even do, get finished the race. We couldn't even hardly start the race. 
He's given it to us. And, and as Brother Lee told us again, his perfect righteousness has been imputed to us, which means Jesus' righteousness, righteousness has been laid upon us. Uh, right, the just for the unjust. So when God looks at us, he sees his son, I mean, his son's righteousness. How amazing is that? We are given a blessing to share in his eternal inheritance with Christ. And I love that word qualified. Uh, this Greek word is hikonoo, uh, which means to render able, render worthy, make capable, and make sufficient. And none of these are anything we can do. Like, like the, the, those are just so far off. To make capable, we we can't do that. And I think as we understand the word qualified, we can understand it a lot better if we understand the opposite of that. So, so the opposite actually has two distinct words here, and you'll see them in your hand out there to fill in. According to theologian Sam, Sam Storms, you can be unqualified or you can be disqualified. You see that in your hand, unqualified or disqualified. And these are very different opposites to qualified. So it's really important to know which one we're looking at in this scripture. So first off, unqualified. So to be unqualified means we haven't arrived to a certain level to do something. So I was unqualified to be a physician until I went to medical school. I went through residency and I went, took my boards and I went through, I jumped through all the hoops and then I became qualified to be a physician. It was something I could work for. You know, some of you all in different fields you do or different things you do, you become qualified through training or experience or going through things. You become qualified as you learn to do things. You know, on the piano, you can become qualified. You can, you can become, you might, might have been unqualified to play the piano. I'm unqualified to do this because I'm not real good at it, but I've worked hard for this one, right? So we have things that we're qualified to do, some things that we're unqualified to do. But that, that type of mentality is a works-based salvation, right? So if we work hard enough, if we study hard enough, if we're good enough, well, now we can go from being unqualified to qualified, and that would be a false teaching when, when we're looking at the scripture. So we're not really unqualified. We are disqualified. There, there is a, a big difference between being unqualified and being disqualified. So Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short, as we've stated above. We are born into sin and can't even get out of the starting block without landing on our face, right? So just like an Olympic athlete, they, they could be, they're banned for using an illegal substance. Like they're not, they're not unqualified, they're disqualified. They're not even allowed in the race, and that's where we're at on the race. We get started off, face plant, we're, we're disqualified because of sin. We, we really can't even, to be honest, we can't even really get up and hit the hurdle. Uh, we can't even run our face in the hurdle like that, did, like that dude did because we were already out of the race, out of the starting block when we first started. And that's so important because our sin keeps us disqualified. We, we have no hope. But, the, but praise God for Jesus because while we laid there, face planted, disqualified from the race due to sin, Jesus Christ finished the race perfectly, gave us this qualifying time, and now we now qualify for eternal life with him and redemption of sins because of what he's done for us. Back to this verse, we see what the, at the end of this, we see what this, inherit, this qualification brings out. And it brings out that we are able to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So what is this inheritance that we're talking about here? Anybody have an idea? Heaven, yes, Brother Lay. So this inheritance that we have is heaven. I mean, how, how blessed is that? So first off, we don't have the power to run this race without falling flat on our face. Jesus Christ runs the race for us, the perfect qualifying time, never sins, completely without sin, lives the perfect life. 
He gives us his qualifying time. He gives us his righteousness. And not only that, he gives us his inheritance. We're co-heirs, joint heirs. Not that we're equal with Christ, so, so don't miss that. But we, we are much subservient to Christ. But, but we get to inherit the inheritance that he gives us, which is eternal life in heaven. Uh, th- this inheritance is far beyond our dreams or imagination. It, it's so much better than just being saved from hell, which is a huge thing there. But we are saved to heaven. We, we can't miss that either. We've got to be just joyous about what we are saved unto as well. And this inheritance is imperishable. It cannot be removed from you once you receive this guarantee of inheritance. We see this in Ephesians 1, 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Here we see the true believers have inherited this inheritance, right? And the Greek here is in the present tense participle, meaning that I'm not a big English person. I have to look these things up, so, so bear with me. So it means that God has chosen and sealed the believer with the Holy Spirit, and it's done. It's spoken as uh, spoken of, of it's complete. It's not you're being saved. It, it's that he has signed, sealed, and delivered you as a believer. Now, we know that, that doesn't come from our works so that no man can boast. It's by grace through faith, as we see in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But what we know is that Jesus Christ ran the perfect race for us. He's given us his qualifying time. He's redeemed us from the cross. And because of this, we can be qualified. And also because of this great work, we can also be transferred. Because of Christ's redemptive work on the cross, you can be transferred, point two here. And if we look at verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved son. So we see what we are saved from in verse 13 here. We are rescued and delivered from the domain of darkness. And this phrase this phrase means Satan's power over this world, his power in this world. This this word domain means one's jurisdiction. Satan has been given this jurisdiction. He's been given this this authority that's been given him by God. He's still under the reign of God. God can step in at any time. As he does, when a believer is saved, he draws a man or a woman to him. They respond, and salvation occurs. And we see this domain of darkness no more clearly than in the arrest and betrayal of Jesus here. It says, Luke twenty two fifty three. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour, the power of darkness. Right? So Jesus had just been betrayed by Ju- Judas, and he's being arrested, and he recognizes this domain of darkness. Uh, that these evil men are a part of, right? They are controlled by their father, who is the devil, Satan himself, right? And Paul expounds upon this further in Ephesians 6, 2. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a definitive domain of darkness, it's not just an imaginary battle that we see portrayed in film or, or that people talk about. Uh, this is a true spiritual warfare that is going on all around us, right? And we would do well to acknowledge the dangers in this world and cling to our Savior who overcomes this darkness. However, one day this domain of darkness ruled by Satan will be completely removed forever. Praise the Lord. How awesome is that? Those who remain a part of this domain of darkness 
In other words, those who are not redeemed by Christ will be cast in the lake of fire along with Satan. However, those who have been delivered from this domain are immediately transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son upon saving faith in Jesus Christ. So this, this transference re, um, refers to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a really difficult teaching for a lot of people. And the reason is it's been uh, inaugurated but not fully consummated, meaning the kingdom of God is here. Jesus said that he brought the kingdom when he came the first time. But we know that the kingdom of God has not come in its fullness of power. There, there is one day, uh, and we can praise the Lord for that one day, that Christ will rule and reign in unopposed glory. Th th there will be no dominion of darkness. Uh, th th there will be no, no more sin, no more pain. And we see this in Philippians 2, 10 through 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Wow, I mean, that every knee, that means demons, Satan, all those opposed to God will forcibly bow their knee before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Savior of mankind. I pray that we all voluntarily do that, that we do that while we are on earth, that we give our lives to Christ, that we fall on our knees, we fall on our face and humbly give our lives to Christ and live that way. But his kingdom shall never end, and he will rule in unopposed glory. And whether you want to worship him or not, you will fall at the power of the Lion of Judah. Going back to verse 13 again, we also see a word here, transferred. And this word is really important. It, it, it is methistene, is the Greek word there. And it means to transfer, transplant, or cause to move from one place to another. It can also mean to transform. So it's a transformational transference. That's hard to say. Say that a few times in a row. Um, it refers to the act of being born again. So the old is gone and the new has come, right? It is a complete transformation of your life. It, it's like taking this, this dead seed here and, and, and imagine it being in a dark, dry room. No hope of any growth. It is dead, spiritually dead, life-wise dead. But God can take that seed and he can plant it in a moist soil. He can, he can nurture it with plenty of sun and nutrients. And it can become a new creation. The old is gone. There is no more seed here, right? There, there, there's no, you can't say, well, what happened to the seed? It is gone. It has been completely transformed. The old is gone. The new has come. That is what it means to be born again. It, it's not just adding the seed to your life. Oh, I'm just going to tape up seed right here. I, I'm just going to walk around with this. I like Jesus. He's pretty cool. I, you know, I'm going to put a patch on my shirt, and, and I'm going to add him to what I already do. No, the old you is dead. And that's why when we do baptisms, we say that you've been buried with Christ, and you've been raised with Christ to new life. It's because the old has gone, and the new has come. Praise be to God from, uh, who, who does that for us. And it's also important to understand darkness. There you go. There's nice dark darkness, right? It's, you can imagine uh, that. So I'm, I'm sure all of us have been in a pitch black room at some point in our life. May, maybe not completely pitch black. It's really hard to get to a pitch black where you can't see anything. But imagine that you are in that kind of a room. And, and the room is endless with no way out. It's a hopeless case. There is absolutely nothing you can do to get out. And it's also a dangerous place because there's a lot of other people in this dark room too, this domain of darkness that you walk along. You can, you can be injured by, by things that are there. You can be injured by other people who are there. And you can also be 
injured by those who think they know how to get out of there, right? Oh, come, come with me. Take my hand. I'll show you the way. Jesus says, don't do that. Because he, he here, here we go. He, taught, he, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they bo- not both fall into a pit? This is what the domain of darkness is like. There's no hope for those who grapple about, looking for something to grab onto. However, unbeknownst to them, they may be just grabbing the tail of that slippery serpent. They may be reaching out for the hand of Satan who, who promises, oh, I, I can help you. We see that today in so many aspects in our media. Uh, we see that today in so many aspects of wokeism, different things. Oh, just, just put all your faith here, your trust here. We'll, we'll show you salvation. We'll show you how to be saved. We'll, we'll get you out of this darkness. Uh, we, we see it with self-help. Oh, if you just, you just read this book, you just do this, you do these three steps, you do these four steps, well, this will make you happy. It, it, it will fix everything in your life, right? If you just get more rich, if you, if you just work out more, if you just do this, all these things promise deliverance. But they all lead you to a pit. No matter how hard you try, based on your own, you will always fall into that pit. Flee from those who say they know the way of salvation without mentioning Christ. And maybe even more so, flee those who say they know the way, mention Christ, but add to it. So many today do that. As the great hymn says, in Christ alone, my hope is found. Because of Christ's redemptive work on the cross, we see that you can be qualified, you can be transferred, and finally, you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. I'll read verse 14 again. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Again, we see that it is through Christ's work on the cross that we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And these are two huge theological words here. So the first here is redemption, uh, which is apoliutrasis. Say that five times fast, too. Uh, This word means to deliver payment of a ransom. Our sin deserved a just payment, as we've talked about, and Jesus paid that just payment on the cross. We have been redeemed. We've been ransomed. We've been set free of that. And the, the result of this redemption, so what is the result of the redemption? The result of redemption is forgiveness. So redemption comes and forgiveness follows. It is the result of redemption. And this Greek word is aphasis, which can mean also to pardon, to release, cancellation, or dismissal. So Christ paid our ransom and redeemed us, which has resulted in the forgiveness or cancellation and pardon of our sins. We've been released from the chains of sin. Our case has been dismissed on behalf of Christ's redemptive work on the cross. I don't know if you've heard, and can it be, this is a a fourth verse of an old hymn by Charles Wesley, and it shows the great work of Christ in the life of a believer. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Wow, those are some tough words right there. So we were all in the dungeon of the domain of darkness. We, we were all there at some point in our life. And before we came to a saving knowledge of Christ, we were ho- helpless and hopeless, shackled by sin. There was no way out. We were stuck, and he broke our chains, and we rose and followed him into the light. How how beautiful is that? I pray that each of you have experienced that blessed liberty that is given to us, that freedom that is given to you in Christ, where the chains and the shackles of sin are removed. 
Yet even, t- even those of us who have experienced that freedom, that wonderful freedom, I think we can still struggle sometimes with the fact that we have been forgiven at times. There's a part of us that struggles to understand how we can be forgiven for all that we've done. Uh, you know, how, and even after that, after we become a Christian, how can he continually forgive me after he has saved and sealed me? And, and he is, uh, how, how can I still continue to be rebellious to my wonderful Father who has given everything to me? How can God hold back his wrath from the sinful man that I am? As Paul said, the wretched man that I am. I, I want to do right but, but wrong is always there, right? I, I, I want to make the right decision. I want to do this, but, but wrong is always there. I, I continually fail over and over and over again. So doesn't that make the Lord angry? Doesn't he want to judge you? Doesn't he want to cast you into hell at that point? Listen to what God says about that. Isaiah forty three twenty five. I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And in Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. These two verses show the character of God. He is a forgiving God. He is a God of no remembrance once he does forgive. He casts them off as far as the east is from the west. If you continue to go east, you'll never get to west. I know you'll be like, well, you'll end up in the west. No, you'll, you're still going east. You will go east forever. And if you go west, you'll go west forever. It's infinity between the east and the West. He said that he will blot out your transgressions and remember your sins no more. I pray that you understand, even believers, I pray that you understand the freedom and the liberty that is in Christ. It is not by your works. You will not be perfect. You will continue to face plant. You will continue to run into hurdles when you do it on your own. But when you rely on the finished race that Jesus Christ has done, the qualifying time, the perfect race, and you, you bask in his imputed righteousness, and through the powers that he gives you, you work through those powers. Until you get to that point, you will not experience that freedom and liberty of Christ. That doesn't mean that we just do whatever we want to, but what it means is we do it through the grace of Jesus Christ. Sadly, many Christians portray our faith as a works-based faith. Uh, they, 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 they almost portray being a Christian as, as burdening your back with more and more commands and things that you have to do. Legalism, almost a pharisaical, unless you do this, this you can't be saved. Uh, you can't come to this church because you don't do everything perfect. Well, praise God that's not how we stand here because I'm not going to get up here and say, you, I do everything perfect, right? Uh, I don't want to be struck down. Uh, so so I, I sin, we, we, we all sin. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, we, we see Jesus say this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus lets, lets us know that it's not him that places the burden on our back. He removes that burden. It is the world and sin that places those burdens on your back. It is false teachers that place those burdens on your back. Now, don't get me wrong. We actually show Jesus our love for him, as we see in John 14, 15, by obeying his commands. Yet the yoke of Christ is an easy yoke. it's It's not a yoke that drags you or jerks you. It is a gentle, a bruised reed he will not break. What we need to be is, as we're humble and as we're teachable and as we continue to, gr- to go in the way, he will gently lead us off of the wrong paths onto the right paths. And he does this through freedom and liberty and through grace. 
we all must understand that we are all, quote-unquote, in progress. Uh, we are still in construction. Uh, he is still sanctifying us, and which means making us more holy, making us more like Christ. We need to show grace to one another as we know that our progress may be different. My progress may be different from your progress, and your progress may be from different from somebody else's, and we all may be at a different place. And we need to have the same grace toward one another that Christ has toward us. He doesn't expect us to be perfect as soon as we're saved. He doesn't say, well, now I expect everything to be perfect in your life, and if it's not perfect, then you're out. No, no, he loves us through that. He still speaks the truth, and it's always truth, but it's always truth in love and in grace. And he uses different things to sanctify us, different aspects to sanctify us. Number one, he uses the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, who, who works on us and in us and through us, and he uses the Word. He uses the Holy Spirit to interpret the Word and illuminate the Word and help us to grow through that. And he uses other believers to sharpen us, as we see in Proverbs 27 17. So what Jesus desires is that we are seeking him and learning from his Word. And I pray that each of you have, have experienced redemption and forgiveness, that you've experienced salvation, the freedom and liberty and peace that comes through Christ. We do not work for our salvation. The redemptive price of our, of, of our salvation was paid for Christ, by Christ, through Christ, and for Christ on our behalf, Lord. The Lord is good. He is wonderful. He is great. So today we've, we've discussed some extremely important aspects of what it means to be a Christian and what Christ has done on the cross. So number one, we saw that we, because of Christ's redemptive work on the cross, you can be qualified. That means, remember, we, we were not unqualified. We were disqualified. And he ran the qualifying race for us and gave that to us. And now he has transferred us from the domain of darkness, from, from hell unto the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of God. How, how amazing is that? And through that, we have been forgiven, redeemed and forgiven. So if anyone here has not experienced that liberating forgiveness, that, that freedom in Christ, I'd love to talk to you after the service about what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a Christian. And if you have, and you're like, okay, yeah, I know that I have given my life to Christ. I know that, that, that I have, I've went all in, but I'm really struggling with living in that freedom and liberty. I, I feel the burdens. I've been in churches where, man, they just keep piling it on. You must do this to be saved. You must do this to be saved. If you're really saved, all of this is going to happen. You're going to be perfect. You're never going to mess up. And you just feel the burden. And, and that yoke, it doesn't feel easy. It feels, it feels like it's jerking you around. Well, that's not the yoke of God. That is not how he works. He is gentle. I'd love to talk to you about how to experience that freedom too. His grace and his power is all su always sufficient to cleanse you of your sins and pick you back up and carry you along the path. I was talking to a buddy of mine here recently, and he said, um, I, I, I was just having one of those weeks where you, you just felt like you were struggling more. I was just more worried about stuff, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I said, I just don't know what's going on. You know, like a lot of times I, I, I don't, I'm not an anxious person. I usually don't worry very much. I'm not so sure why this week, I said I've had to just be praying a whole lot more than even normal. I've had to, and he just, he just said, it's a very wise thing. And he said, I think that the biggest issue is not when you know that you're doing bad, uh, that when, when you know you're struggling. The biggest issue is when you think you're doing well. And I was like, man, it just really cut my heart. And I was like, you know, you're exactly right. Because so often we can do things in our own strength uh, we, we can be doing, quote-unquote, the right things. We can be feeling pretty good about ourselves, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm in the Word, I'm praying, I'm being kind to people, I'm, I'm exhibiting or exuding the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, but then how much am I really relying on the strength of Christ or how much am I doing it in my own flesh and what I have to bring? 
And so often the reason we get to that other part, the other point where we're anxious, we're worried, we're struggling, is because we've been doing it on our own. And that was really when we should have been worried. We should have been like, oh, let's, you know, let's, you know, I feel good, but maybe I shouldn't feel this good. Maybe I shouldn't feel this sufficient on my own. And we need to be walking with him. And I always, always look, laugh at that, the footprints in the sand thing. And it's, it's such a beautiful picture. Don't get me wrong. It's a great poem. How, you know, you're walking, you have two sets of footprints and then you have a part where there's only one set. And then it's like, well, where were you at then? It was when I was carrying you. Well, I would almost argue there should always be one, one set. He should always be carrying us because we don't have, as we talked about the race, we can't even get out of the bar- block. We need to be carried along the whole time. We need to be going that way. I was, I was talking with my wife about that too, and it just reminds me of, of small children. And you take a small child and you take them to a play place where they feel pretty confident, right? This, I, I own this thing. I, there's slides, everything. I am ready to go. And, and dad doesn't exist anymore. You know, that just push dad off. I'm going to go and I'm going to have fun then what happens? Bump their head? Where do they go? They want to sit on daddy's lap or mommy's lap, right? All of a sudden they go and they want to be held. They want to be carried. You take that same kid into a dangerous situation, they ain't getting off your lap. Like, no, no, I don't know who that person is. They, you know, whatever, I don't like this place. I don't feel comfortable. Well, we all, we, we're in a dangerous place, my friends. The spiritual warfare we talked about a little earlier, that is the world we live in. We need to always stay on daddy's lap. We always need to be carried by our father, and work through his strength while he carries us along, not based on our own pride, our own abilities and what we have. And I, I repent publicly of, of doing it on my own at times and not letting him carry me through, trying to go ahead at times, being like, well, let's do this, let's do that. And I pray that, that we all can humble ourselves and realize that the times we think we're doing well are the times where we maybe need him the most. All right, let, let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have qualified us that you ran that race that we couldn't run, that we, we fell flat on our face out of the starting block. Thank you that you've transferred us from this domain of darkness. Lord, this, this place of, of spiritual warfare, this, this place of darkness, of Satan's reign on earth, and you've transferred us to your kingdom, God. Thank you that you've redeemed us, that you've forgiven us through your work on the cross. Thank you for salvation, Lord. Help us to live in light of that beautiful salvation that you've given us, to, to have liberty and freedom in you not as a license to keep on sinning, to do what we want to do, Lord. Uh, th- there are commands that you've given us, Lord. We need to, 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 to do our best uh, to follow those. We need to do it through your power, not our own. Help us to walk in your strength and to walk in your freedom, the freedom that you give us, Lord. Thank you so much for this wonderful day you've given us. Help us to go throughout this week uh, confidently uh, sharing the gospel with others around us and walking uh, in your light, Lord. We love you. Amen. Have a great week.